Hey, good evening, folks. Welcome to church. So good to be together. Uh, God is among us. Anyone excited about that? Me too. Big style. Big style. Let's pray. We're in the presence of God. Fraser, welcome back from China. Nice hair. Is that a Chinese hairstyle? No, okay, great. Lord, thank you so much that we're in your presence. Thank you for your love for us, God. God, we're just honored to be your children and to gather in your name. Jesus, thank you. You promised that when we gather in your name, you are there in the midst. So come move among us, Lord. Come and have your way. Mighty Holy Spirit, when we're in your presence, anything is possible. And we're convinced that, God, you want to do a great thing in our lives tonight. We haven't just come to a service. We've come to have an encounter with God. So, God, would you speak? God, would you envision? God, would you inspire? God, would you teach us? God, anyone tonight who's far from you, bring them close to you by the power of your Holy Spirit. I believe tonight miracles are going to happen. I believe tonight people's lives and destinies are going to be impacted and changed by your power. So welcome God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're having a double holiday this summer. We don't usually have a double holiday. We had just some time in Spain with the family, which is really special. And this week, uh, me and Ange, our 20th wedding anniversary happens this week, which is pretty special. Eh? Pretty special. Uh, deserve a medal. Sorry, my wife deserves a medal. Just, uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's great. And so we're going to head off to Prague for a few days. So, uh, so tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, I'm heading off to Prague. So really special. Love her to bits. She's awesome. What a partner. Um, we're going we're gonna to unpack the Bible tonight. I'm going to share something. I just, I just feel this is what God is saying for us. And I'm going to share with you just some of the things that are my heartbeat, really. Things that God has shown me. And I, I, I want to I show you. Look at what God's shown me. I want to show you. Because I want you to be inspired like I've been inspired for several decades. Uh, I want you to be gripped with a vision, just like I've been gripped with a vision. So I want to share my heart with you tonight. And I believe that tonight will define, literally will define many of your destinies, just like it's defined mine. So, uh, okay, let me start with the story. There was, there was um, a couple of builders, and they turned up at Builder's Merchant. Now, the builders may have been blondes, but it doesn't say that in this story. It doesn't mention the hair color in any way. Anyway, so anyway, so a couple of builders turned up at this Builder's Merchant's and, uh, and said, and asked for, we need some uh, two by fours. And the builder's merchant said, well, how, how long for? How, how, how long? And the guy said, okay, I need to go and check. And he disappeared off and he, then he reappeared and he said, oh, we're going to need it for a long time. We're building a house. Anyway, God is a long term. I love when jokes go over so well. I, 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 God is a long term building project. He has a long-term plan. He's building something really, really long-term. Uh, and tonight, my title is 66 Books, One Plan. Your Bible actually isn't just one book. The word Bible means library. Your Bible is actually made up of 66 books. 27 books in the New Testament, 
39 books in the Old Testament. And the thing about the Bible is this. The Bible has one central figure. He's called Jesus Christ. He's in the Old Testament concealed and he's in the New Testament revealed. It's as if you place a cross between the Old and the New Testaments and the light of the New Testament shining casts the shadow of the cross right through the Old Testament. So right through the Old Testament on every page you're seeing pictures and allusions to the one who is coming. And the New Testament reveals that one who is coming is none other than God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. So these 66 books are all about one person, Jesus Christ. But it's also all about a revelation of one plan. One plan. He hasn't got two plans. He hasn't got plan B. He's not, all right, that failed. Let's try plan B. Oh, no, that failed too. Let's try plan C. God didn't do that. There's always been one plan. And it may look like there's been many setbacks in that plan. But the plan is on track. And your life can all be about that one person and that one plan. So let me take you on a journey. Let's start at the beginning. In the beginning, in Genesis. And then we'll finish at the end. But let's start in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. In the beginning, God speaking, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Notice, this is the first command in Scripture. Human beings, fill the earth. In other words, the first command was, have sex. It's the only command we've been really good at, okay? Every other command we've failed miserably at, but that's the one we've done really well with. So we have filled the earth, but we haven't really subdued it. The words subdue could be translated rule over, bring dominion. God created us uniquely and distinctly to be the pinnacle of his creation, to rule over the works of his hands. And he called us not just to fill the earth, but to bring his rule The purpose of God, just if it's going to sum up, I would say it very simply as this. God created people in his image, and he wanted people in his image, reflecting his image and his glory, filling this earth and bringing his rule, his dominion, his subjection on the earth. People reflecting his glory, filling this earth and bringing his dominion. That's his purpose, if it was to sum up in a phrase. And that was always been his purpose. And let's zoom to the very end. The book of Revelation snapshot is our future, but it already is the case as far as God is concerned, who is outside of time. In Revelation, he says, Revelation 7 verse 9, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, which no one could count, from every tribe, nation, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes. In the end, you need to understand God's purpose will be fulfilled. There will be a people reflecting his glory, his image, filling all things. So at the very beginning, he made his intent clear. People in my image, fill this earth, have dominion, rule, bring my kingdom. In the end, we see a people recreated in the Lord, saved, impacted by God, beyond anyone's ability to count So let's go back to Genesis and then work forward. Back in Genesis, it says these little little throwaway verses that are actually very significant. What was the very purpose in the beginning? The Bible says that God created mankind and placed us in a garden. It's called the Garden of Eden. What was the purpose of the garden? 
Genesis chapter 2, verse 10. A river watered the garden that flowed from Eden. From there, it separated into four headwaters. It's just a little mention of, of a river that became four headwaters that flowed from Eden out into the rest of the world. What was this um, not only there, but what was it a picture of and what was this telling us? Rivers represents life, represents life and vitality. And you see cities developing around rivers. They became the arteries, the blood vessels of the earth, transportation, irrigation. That's what rivers speak of, life and emanating life. It says four rivers. Four is the number throughout Scripture that's used for the earth, the whole earth. For example, in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 7 and verse 1, it says the four corners of the earth or the four winds of the earth. So four is always the number of the entire earth. So here, the, the point is this, that there's a river flowing from Eden that's designed to bring life to the entire earth. What was God's purpose for the garden? The purpose was that the life of God in the garden was then made to spread by people throughout the entire world. Let me read you two commentators. Ellison said this, The obvious inference that Adam was to so carry out his work in the garden that he and his family would eventually extend it until the garden embraced the whole earth. Uh, Meredith Cliney, in his book Kingdom Prologue, said this, God sent them into the world on their mission as his anointed servants with a royal mandate to exercise dominion on the earth in his name. They were to fill the earth with their royal kinds. They were to bring the earth under their rule. Through human procreation and by their various labors, their royal rule, they were to produce a royal human race, a universal ruling community. A people reflecting his image, filling this earth, bringing his dominion. So as I said, we've succeeded in filling the earth, but we've failed in bringing dominion. And I don't mean bringing dominion as in subjugating the earth and building roads and controlling things. I don't mean that. We've done that. I mean spiritually having dominion on earth. You see, we lost the right for that the day that we bowed the knee to Satan. In the beginning, it talks about how humankind's were in relationship with God, but something devastating and catastrophic happened at the very beginning where humankind rebelled against God. We obeyed the temptation, and by doing so, we enthroned Satan unwittingly. He became our master, in effect, and at that point, we lost all authority, spiritually speaking. But God, in his radical love for us, did something so incredible. 2,000 years ago, God became a man, He became fully man. He had to be one of us in order to win back authority on behalf of all of us. Jesus Christ came as a man, and all of a sudden, he was a man that Satan had no dominion over. Up until that point, Satan had authority over every one of Adam's descendants because you have imperfect people. You're not going to produce perfect people. Sin gave Satan authority over us. But Jesus Christ, born to a virgin, fully man, yes, but without a fallen human nature. Lived, was born without sin and lived without sin. Therefore, Satan literally, it was like sand through his fingers. Satan had nothing on him. And Jesus Christ, as a man who lived and died without sin, died on a cross on behalf of sinners. In doing so, he legally conquered Satan's sin and death. And in his resurrection, he appeared to his disciples and he said to them, 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go. He won back authority on behalf of mankind. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and verse 23, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Remember God's purpose? Filling everything in every way. So Jesus Christ, as a man on behalf of people, died as our one substitute. He not only conquered Satan's sin and death, but he also won back the authority for human beings who come under his authority. As a child of God, you are given authority again. So we not just fill the earth, but we can also bring God's dominion to bear. And that's why, and, and what is that people called? Well, here is in the verse. The church, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in every way. God's always had one plan. A people reflecting his glory is called the church of Jesus Christ. His plan, his destiny. How is God going to fill everything? Answer, the church. It's interesting, Jesus, in a, in a conversation with his disciples, he arrived in a place called Caesarea Philippi, way up in the northern area of Israel, in the foothills of Mount Hermon. It's actually a very strategic place. It is the source of the River Jordan. Jesus took his disciples to the place where the River Jordan literally came out of a spring and waters the entire lands. You know, the, the land of Israel is dependent on the River Jordan for its irrigation and for its life. One river waters the entire land and brings life to the whole land. And he, Jesus took them to the very source of that river and it was there Jesus, in dialogue with his disciples, revealed his identity and his mission. He asked them, who do, you, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And then he went on in verse 18, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and said this. And I say to you, Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus at the source of the river Jordan, that river that brings life to an entire land, said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Great statement. Jesus is building his church. And he chose to say those words in that context because he wants you to know that just as the river Jordan is a source of life to the entire land of Israel, that so too this people called the church are designed by God to bring life and blessing to the communities, cities, and nations of our world. There is no plan B. I believe that the church is the hope of the world. Where it... So the plan continues to unfold. Time passed. The Bible unpacks and shows us another person that God laid hold of and introduced himself to, a man called Abraham. Incredible man. And here's a moment when God speaks to him. Abraham 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will bless 
through you. So who's that promise relating to? Well, I guess it relates to three people. First of all, it relates to Abraham's physical descendants. Abraham had a son by a miracle. He was called Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. God blessed Jacob. Jacob had several sons, and they became the heads of the tribes of Israel. Jacob's name got called Israel. And the tribes of Israel became this people. And God's intention was that through this people, blessing would come to the earth. But how specifically did blessing come to the earth through that people? There was one particular descendant of Israel born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. He's called Jesus Christ. He's always the answer, right? What's the answer? Jesus. The answer is Jesus. In case you're in doubt. What's the answer? Jesus. Jesus. You got it, right? So Jesus is the answer. He, he is the means by which blessing was going to come to planet earth. And the blessing comes to planet earth through this man, Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. Blessing comes through death. Life comes. But also, so the answer is uh, Israel is the means by which blessing coming, but specifically Jesus, but specifically his people, the church. We are the ones, this is, what it, this is what it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Not physically, maybe some of you are physically a Jewish person, but you are spiritually Abraham's offspring if you belong to Christ. And heirs according to the promise. In other words, when God said, I'm going to bless you, and through you all nations of the earth are going to be blessed, who's that for? Jesus and us who are in Christ. We are inheritors of that promise. Your destiny is not just to be blessed. Your destiny is to be a blessing. The lowest form of Christianity is to be blessed. Highest form of Christianity is to be a blessing. And this is God's calling for your life. Remember, God's purpose. A people in his image, filling this earth, bringing his dominion to bear. This is God's plan to fill the earth, to bless all nations of the earth. And Jesus, having died and risen again, appeared to his disciples in Matthew 28 and said, he said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. God's intention is that all nations will be blessed. How's that going to happen? The church is going to take the message of this salvation and preach it in all nations, making disciples of all peoples everywhere. Isn't that amazing? This is God's intention. This is God's design. On holiday, when, when we were, last week when we were in Spain, it was right in the south coast of Spain. We are up in the foothills there. And you were looking at an amazing view really high up and you could see the ocean, but on a clear day, you could see the north coast of Africa. I loved it. So I was praying every morning. I love getting up early to pray. And it was just a great setting for that. So I just found one of the hillsides where you get this huge panoramic view. And you see Africa in the distance. You see all of Spain. So I was praying for Europe. I was praying for Africa. I love praying for Africa. I love Africa. I love any, Anyone love Africa? A few of you love Africa in this room. Love Africa. I was praying for Africa. And I was praying for two parts of Africa. I was praying for Northern Africa, for the Muslim peoples. And I was praying for Sub-Saharan Africa, for the Christian peoples. 
And I was, I was dearly praying for both. And you know, I was actually, here's, here's what I felt to pray. I, 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 I love sub-Saharan Africa and I love what God is doing there. I'm seeing the rapid growth of churches. But I'm also concerned that some of the churches there, just like in other parts of the world, some of the churches there, the message isn't the authentic message. Sometimes, do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's, it's, it's focusing on health and wealth and missing there is a savior and that's the biggest health and wealth you can ever have. That You can have the eternal riches, not just, hey, you can be blessed in this life too, but they're missing it, right? And, and I, I was praying specifically, God, raise up the best teachers and apostles who are going to bring the message to that awesome part of the world to add to what's already happening, Yeah. Anyway, that's what I was praying. That afternoon, I phoned Gordon to ask, how did it go with the Sunday evening crowd? They're a hard crowd, Gordon. How did it go? And, and, and Gordon said to me, Peter, it was a great time. And by the way, God spoke to me for the church. And, and I, wrote, I wrote down what he said. He said it in a wee WhatsApp message. He said this, I had a real sense from God that there was a consistency in the church, the SNA Edinburgh, of you building on the rock of the revelation of Christ. Keep going with that. And that the church will be known for sending people into all the nations with that same consistency being committed to seeing people growing in Christ. So that prophecy kind of confirmed the prayers praying in the morning. Because that that was what he shared with me in the afternoon. And I believe this, and I believe this with all my heart. We're going to be responsible as part of the bigger picture. we're We're not the only ones. There's going to be lots of people doing this. But we are going to be responsible for sending people out to plant churches, to raise up preachers and teachers and leaders and apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to send them out into all nations of the world, including sub-Saharan Africa and northern Africa. God wants to send people in China. And lots of people, God wants to send people out to bring the life of God and to bring this. And I believe we are strategically going to be part of that. I'm believing for personally, I'm believing we'll plant 100 churches. And that, that's daughter churches. But then I want some granddaughter churches as well. I want to plant churches that plant churches. I want to see a viral movement. I believe God can do that. And some of you just now are feeling a stirring as I'm saying that. God is calling you. God is calling you. It's time to think bigger than you've thought. It's time to let go of your comfort and step into the radical that God has for you. Some of you have been playing it too safe. Listen, you only live once. God has one plan for planet Earth. Get with the plan. (laughs) God has a big plan and you're part of it. Jacob. So Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob's there. And one day Jacob actually is in a tough situation. And you're going to have to read the verses yourself to get all the context. But Jacob's running for his life. And he's heading for a, a, a foreign territory. And as that night he lays down to sleep, he puts his head on a rock and that night God gives him a dream. And the dream, and I won't go into it all, but very simply the dream, he sees a ladder connecting heaven to earth and he sees angels going up and down on this ladder. And then he wakes up and he says this in Genesis 28 verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? Jacob was from the 80s. Awesome. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So notice he has a vision of a ladder going from heaven to earth. And he wakes up saying, this is awesome, this place. This is the house of God. First mention. Okay. In Scripture, when you're interpreting Scripture, 
there is a law called the law of first mention. Every time you see the first mention of a concept or a truth, there is a key in that first mention of how you are to understand that concept of truth going forward. Do you understand? So here's the first mention of the, the, the name, house of God. And here in it, we see also a key to what the house of God should be all about. You see, the house of God, I believe, is the church. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. A dwelling in which God lives. See, when I said God's here tonight, I wasn't kidding. God lives among us. We're his house. See, in the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. In the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. God doesn't live in buildings. God lives among a people. A people reflecting his image who will fill this earth in every corner and bring his dominion, bring his rule. That's the church. It's always been his plan. 66 books, one plan. Love this uh, sketch. There's a great London artist, uh, Charlie uh, McKezzy. And he's this awesome little sketch. And, and I like it. It says, here's a, here's a building, but this is a temple. That little person there, you're a temple. The Bible says you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. But not just you as an individual, but when we collectively gather together, there's something about the unique presence of God among God's gathered people. Listen, you can be a Christian without church, absolutely. But you can't live the Christian life without the local church. There's something about when we work together, when we move in unity, when we're connected in a local church setting, there's something about the presence of God among them. That's why Jesus said, we're two or three gather in my name. There I'm there. Now we know he's there with you when you're just by yourself, but there's something special about when we're gathered together. God is present with power in his house. God loves his house. I love my house. God loves his house. He hangs out there often. He lives in his house. He works through his house. God has no other way of operating on planet earth other than he chose to operate through his people, the house of God. We are God's address on earth. We carry God's. Where we go, God goes. And hopefully where God goes, we follow. God is among us, the local church. And notice in this revelation, this dream, he calls the local church the gate of heaven. Isn't that amazing? The gate of heaven. It's a bit kind of stargatey, isn't it? Like a portal. Ooh, okay. The gate of heaven. You see, my destiny is to go to heaven but my assignment is to bring heaven. God's called the church to be like a bridge, like a ladder reaching from heaven to earth. And I know that Jesus Christ is that ladder who reaches from heaven to earth, who unites us to God. However, the church of Jesus Christ is the means by which people find God. Tonight, you may have walked in here a sinner away from God, but tonight you can walk out of here a citizen of heaven, a child of God saved for all eternity because tonight you've had an encounter with the living savior jesus christ that's how powerful church is isn't that amazing this morning when i was preaching in leith uh, it, it was a cool time and uh, a, a guy started heckling hackling what's the word heckling heckling with me heckling with me and i thought all right this is cool not very but then I, I said, hi, but sharp now. And, and, then, and then he had to get carried out. Some stewards came down. And I thought, oh, no, it's going to go bad for you. Oh, no, it's gone bad. And then he got carried out, okay? So that was cool. But four people got saved. Isn't that interesting? See, 
you see, you need to understand when, when salvation of souls are at stake, the, the stakes are upped. It starts to become clashes between light and darkness. And you need to understand that the church is the gate of heaven. People in Gorgie Roads or in Leith can walk into a building where the people of God are gathered and meet with the eternal God, the creator of the universe, who likes hanging out among a people in little old buildings like this. Isn't that amazing? Pennycook Town Hall, Jordan. Just in the little old Pennycook Town Hall, people can walk off the street and meet God in Pennycook Town Hall. God is among this people. We are a privileged people. We are the gates of heaven. This last week, we had a friend from Belgium staying with us. She and her husband and her family were in our church for a number of years. And um, Desiree, Desiree from Belgium. In fact, Desiree may well be listening to this podcast. She often listens. Hi, Desiree. Everyone say hi, Desiree. And Desiree was reminding me that when she was in Edinburgh, she was prayed for in the church. And she had a hernia, and she was scheduled to have a hernia operation. And she was prayed for. So the operation was scheduled that week on the Sunday she was prayed for. And she went in for the operation, and she said, do you mind just giving me a scan before they have the operation? And they scanned her, and the hernia had gone. It's just, just simple, right? Just, wow, wow. Why, why would that happen? That would happen because this is the gate of heaven. We don't just need to see earth's results. We've got God's backing. Just a couple of weeks ago in, in South, a couple were there. Um, and they came up to me and they asked for prayer. And they said, the reason we've come is because our friends um, goes to your Leith location. And he told us about how his mother-in-law, father-in-law, was healed of cancer because your church prayed for him. So we're here to receive prayer, and then they told us the situation. People are healed of cancer in this place. People are healed of hernias in this place. People are, what, anything is possible Amen. with God. Amen. So we believe in the local church. We believe, as I said earlier, our destiny is heaven, but our assignment is to bring heaven. And this was the picture that Jacob had. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. God's purpose is the people reflecting his image will fill this earth and bring his dominion. And then we go to Israel. Jacob, actually, his name was changed to Israel. But when we think of Israel, we don't think of a person, we think of a nation. And let me give you the context of this verse before I read you the verse. Jacob had these kids. These kids, Joseph, Benjamin, Dan, da 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 all became the heads of the tribes of Israel. They relocated to Egypt because there was a famine and they needed to survive and Egypt had food. And they grew up over several centuries, four centuries, in Egypt. And they started off as a free people, but soon they became an oppressed people. They became slaves in Egypt. By the hand of God, with the leadership of Moses, God delivered them from slavery in Egypt, took them out by a miracle, took them through a Red Sea, through a wilderness and into a promised land. But that first generation who came out of Egypt, the Bible teaches that they went through the promised land. It shouldn't have been a long, long journey to get into the promise, through the wilderness into the promised land. That shouldn't have been a long journey. But the tragedy was that they came to the edge of the promised lands 
they sent in some spies to check out the lands, to suss it out. And they came back, 12, 10 of them said, in fact, they all said the land is good, but 10 of them said, but the battles we face in that land are too great for us. And they discouraged the entire nation. A million and a half people in the wilderness were discouraged. And they, and they freaked out and said, we can't go in. And they'd just seen God do great miracles. They'd seen the parting of the Red Sea. They'd seen all the great miracles. And yet now they were saying, we can't go in. They became unbelievers. And, and, and God was so angry with that generation. And he said, okay, and this, that entire generation, because of God's anger, died in the wilderness. And their children were the ones who, 40 years later, went in and eventually took the promised land. But listen to what God said at that juncture. When they came to the edge of the land and they, in unbelief, didn't go into the lands, God was furious. He was angry and Moses interceded on behalf of the people and said, forgive them, Lord. And this is what God says. Numbers 14, 20. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your words. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Say filled. It will be filled with the glory of the Lord as I live. So here, you need to understand, folks. Well, you'd think. You would think God would say this, right? The people were refusing to go into that. You would think God would say... As I live, they will go into the lands. He didn't say that. He says, as I live, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. You need to understand what the people of Israel didn't understand. They thought it was just about them. They thought it was just about them in their land. And actually, you see them turning inward. But God's intention always would be they would be blessed. And that through them, all nations of the earth would be blessed. God's intention wasn't just to get them into a bit of lands in the Middle East, but rather that through them, blessing would come to the entire earth. God was always looking past the lands to the big purpose because God has always had one purpose, filling this earth with people reflecting his glory, bringing his dominion. So at that juncture, he said, no, no, as I live, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. And the prophets picked up that same theme. Habakkuk and others said, the, the, just as the waters cover the sea, so the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the whole earth. You need to understand, folks, this is not like a possibility. This is an absolute certainty. As God lives, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. And we are not just a little bit part, we are totally in the bullseye of that purpose of God. God has one purpose. It's called his people, which is called the church, which today is much bigger than just the Jews and Israel. And in the next few weeks, one of the messages I'm going to bring is about how, well, how does Israel relate to what God is doing today? And how does Islam relate to what God is doing today? I'm going to unpack some of these things with us in an evening service in the next few weeks. But God's people are so much bigger than just a, a national identity. It's not to do with how you are born. It's to do with whether or not you are born again. It's to do with a spiritual identity, which will include Jews and Gentiles and anyone who calls in the name of the Lord as people of God, purchased at his own, with his own blood, the church of Jesus Christ. His plan A, his only plan for changing this world. Say amen if you agree. So Daniel, so, so we've had, uh, who we had? We've had Israel, Jacob, Israel. Now, now in David's. 
And David was the great king over Israel. They moved into the land eventually. They had judges who ruled over them for several years. And then David came along as, as actually the second king Israel had, but the king who was God's choice, a man after God's own heart. And David, having been established as king, then had this deep desire, God, I want to build you a house. And this is what God said to him in Second Samuel 7 through a prophet. He says, when your days are over, and when you, you will rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Say forever. And I will be his father, and he will be my son. God promised David's that his offspring, there will be a king born in his family line who would have an eternal kingdom and who would build a house for his name. Now, we know Solomon, David's son, became the next king. And we know that Solomon built a temple. But Solomon doesn't have an eternal kingdom. I mean, what human could unless that human was fully God and fully man? Solomon built a house for gods way back in 953 B.C., that house lasted 367 years until the Babylonian Empire destroyed it when the Jews were taken off into exile. Then it was rebuilt 70 years later by a man called Zerubbabel. You can read about that in the books of Nehemiah and Ezra and all those books in the Old Testament. Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple, and again the temple was again rebuilt in 19 BC by Herod the Great, and it was constructed over several decades by about 10,000 people who helped build it. That was the temple that was in Jerusalem when Jesus walked into Jerusalem. And Jesus walking around that temple, that magnificent temple, an incredible, incredible bit of architecture. The disciples commented on how beautiful the temple was and Jesus said in Matthew 24, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples called to his attention to buildings. And he said, do you see all these things? He asked, I tell you the truth that not one stone will be left upon another. Everyone will be thrown down. I tell you the truth, that this generation will not pass away until these things have happened. I've kind of, I've scrunched a whole section into a quick few verses there. That's actually from verses 1 to 34. Many, and Jesus was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus prophesied that that generation would see the destruction of, of, of the temple. And in 70 AD, Emperor Titus, with four legions of Roman soldiers, marched upon Jerusalem and laid siege to the city and destroyed the temple. Threw down all the stones, all those magnificent stones. When I went to Jerusalem a couple of years ago, you could see below the Temple Mount area, these huge stones the Emperor Titus and his men had thrown down. Jerusalem was ransacked. The temple was brought to an end. But actually, it all came to an end when Jesus on the cross cried out, It is finished. And as he said that, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, signifying that there is a new awesome way into the presence of God. You don't need to go to a temple and offer a sheep. The Son of God, the Lamb of God, was offered on your behalf on the cross. There is a new and living way. You don't need to go to Jerusalem to find God. You can find him in Gorgi by meeting Jesus who shed his blood to save you from your sins. 
It's incredible. But the point is this. Jesus is building his church. David's got a word from God that one of your sons is going to have an eternal kingdom and he's going to build me a house. Who is he talking about? The answer is always Jesus. That's Jesus. You got it right. So Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the son of David who is going to build that house that God spoke to David about. Jesus, what's he building? Jesus said, I will build my church. This is the house of God. It's an interesting name Jesus chose. He chose the name church. It's a Greek word. It's the Greek word ekklesia. It comes from two words, ek and kaleo. Kaleo means call. It's like kaleo, sounds like call. Kaleo, call. Okay, just made that up. And ek means out. It means to call out. It literally means ecclesia, church, means a assembly of called out ones. I've heard people say this before. It's like, when I came to church, it was just like coming home. You ever had that testimony before? Who's had that? Who's that? Who's that? You've had that story, right? It was just like coming home. That's weird. It's like because you were called here, folks. You, you were summoned. You are, you are, another way of saying it is summoned ones. Summoned ones. Isn't that amazing? Oh, wow. Called out ones. Called out of darkness. Brought together. This is by design, folks. You're not here by accident. God's planted you here. Called out ones. Assembly. Now, the ecclesia, actually, before it was ever used in the context of religiousness, it was a secular word. For example, in many ancient Greek cities, they had an ecclesia in the city. In Athens, they had an ecclesia. And the ecclesia was an elite, respected group of citizens who actually ruled the city. They decided what came and went in the city. They decided how the money was spent. They could literally go to war or end wars and make peace treaties. The ecclesia in Athens were a very high and respected and influential group. That was the name Jesus stole from secular society and says, that's kind of like my people. I don't want them to be mousy weaklings chipping away at the edge. I want them to be right in the core of influence, making decisions that change the spiritual climates of cities, bringing influence and change, bringing spiritual wars to an end, bringing light in darkness. You are a privileged people. You are the ecclesia, the summoned ones of God. There is one plan for planet earth, folks. It's called this church. And I know the church has blown it umpteen times. I know the church is full of renegades like you. I know the church is full of messed up people like me. I know the church is rough and gritty. I know that, the, yeah, I've often said to people, if you haven't been offended at destiny, it's very simply because you haven't been around long enough. You will get offended because it's full of people like us. People wind each other up. The church is certainly not a perfect place, but it's called it's declared righteous because of Jesus. It's saved. So just get on with each other. Tough. Suck it up. Get on with each other. You are the church. You are God's plan A. There is no plan B. You're it. We're, this is our generation. We only get one chance to live. God's called us to be this influential group in this lands. See, the greatest thing in Edinburgh is not Edinburgh Parliament. The most influential thing in Edinburgh is not the academic institutions. The most important thing in Edinburgh is not the financial services and all the financial, the huge big organizations like Standard Life or RBS, that great bank. Okay, These are not the most important things in Edinburgh. 
the most important thing in Edinburgh are the local churches, and we're part of that. That's the most important thing. Actually, we're the ones who will decide what, how this go, how it goes in the city. It says in Proverbs, when the righteous go well, it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. Literally, it, it's all dependent on the success of the local church. This generation is all dependent on the success of the local church in this city and in this region. Man, we're covering hundreds of years here. Let me just take you to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a great king of Babylon, a secular king. And one day, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Nebuchadnezzar's dream was very significant. He dreamt of a statue. And Daniel, who happened to be in Babylon at the time, was summoned and brought before Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel interpreted the dream to the king. He said to the king, you saw a statue. And the king said, that's right, I saw a statue. And the statue had four parts to it. It had a head of gold, had shoulders of silver, had a waist of bronze, and had legs and feet of iron. And Daniel said, the dream was this. There are going to be four kingdoms. You're the head of gold, the Babylonian Empire. And you get your history books out, and there were four kingdoms. There was the Babylonian Empire. Then there was the Medes and the Persians. Then there was the Greek Empire with Alexander the Great. And then there was the Roman Empire. And Daniel in the dream said this. He saw this great statue. It looked so immovable. These empires of world powers looked so immovable. But at the time of the Roman Empire, he said, I saw a little stone. And let me read it to you. Daniel 2, verse 35. In fact, let me just say the first bit. I saw a stone that was cut out of the mountain without human hands. And it struck the statue. And the statue all of a sudden disappeared and became like chaff on the summer's threshing floor. But then he says in verse 35, but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Say filled. Filled the whole earth. It's always been God's plan. So at the time of the Roman Empire, a little stone, so insignificant compared to the statue of world empires. A man called Jesus Christ, born to a peasant family, Mary and Joseph, in a little back of beyond town called Bethlehem, grew up in northern hillbilly territory of Nazareth a nobody as far as the world was concerned and yet everything as far as we are concerned Jesus Christ that stone and the movement he started and according to scripture the prophecy is this that the stone that struck the statue is going to become a great mountain fill the whole earth fill the whole earth oh, well, when will that happen Peter I'm glad you asked because Daniel actually told the king Listen to what he says in verse 28 of chapter 2. He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. The latter days, according to Scripture, are the ear, is the era in which we're living. It's this time between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. We are living in the latter days. So this is what you need to know tonight. God is saying that in the last days, the stone that struck the statue is going to become a great mountain. That Jesus and his movement is going to become the biggest thing on planet Earth prior to to the return of Jesus. I don't believe everyone will be saved, but I believe like a mountain on the horizon, you won't be able to miss it. Some will love it. Others will hate it. But you will not be able to avoid it. The church, and I don't mean the church as in buildings and denominations, I mean the true church, his people, will become the biggest, most influential, dominating in a life-giving way. Bunch of people that this earth has ever seen in the last days. You know, sometimes people say, so what do you do for a job? And I like to 
kind of toy with them sometimes and I'll not give them a straight answer. I'll just say, well, I, I work for the world's biggest employer. It has an estimated 30 million employees. We have the world's biggest voluntary workforce. We have hundreds of millions of volunteers. And their jaw is dropping as I'm explaining to them. And I said, we have a branch in every town and every city in the world. And we're growing at a rate of 100,000 new members a day. And we're starting 4,500 new branches a week. And they're blown away and they say, is, is this Apple? Google? The armed forces? What, what is this organization? And then I tell them, it's the church. And they're very unimpressed. <laughs> But it's true. It literally is as impressive as I've described it. John Piper said this, and I love this. He said, the church of Jesus Christ is the most important institution in the world. The assembly of the redeemed, the body of Christ, is more significant in world history than any other group or organization or nation. The United States of America compares to the church of Jesus Christ like a speck of dust compares to the sun. The drama of international relations compares to the mission of the church like a kindergarten riddle compares to Hamlet. All the pomp of May Day in Red Square and the grandeur of New Year's celebration fade into a formless gray in comparison to the splendor of the Bride of Christ. Let me end with Micah and Isaiah. They said exactly the same thing in different settings, in different ways. God, by the Holy Spirit, inspired them to bring an identical prophecy. Let me read it from Isaiah, but I could have just as easily have read it from Micah. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2, also found in Micah chapter 1, sorry, chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. Now it shall come about in the last days. When's that? That's now. That the mountain of the house of the Lord, who's the house of the Lord? It's us, the church, will be established as chief of the mountains. And will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. The Jews, when they heard Isaiah say that, would have thought, wow, Jerusalem is going to become really significant and the nations are going to stream to it. But the bigger picture and the more exciting picture isn't that Jerusalem is no longer special. It is still special. But the one who was born in the land of Israel, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, not just of the Jewish people, but of the entire world, started the house of God. And the house of God that Isaiah was prophesying about, that building in Jerusalem doesn't exist anymore. And it will continue to not exist forever. God brought it to an end. The house he's talking about is the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ. It's going to become the chief of the mountains, and the nations will stream to it. The nations are going to stream to it. They're going to find God among us. We're the gate of heaven. Erwin Raphael McManus, pastor of Mosaic Church in Los Angeles, said this, the first century church didn't keep up with its time. It didn't spend its energy keeping up with its time. The first century church changed time. It rewrote history. It radically impacted culture. The church was the forerunner, not the runner-up. Out of the, church of in, out of the church's influence came the greatest art, the greatest music, and the greatest thinkers. 66 books in your Bible. One plan. All about one person. Jesus Christ. 
So let me just end by asking, are you all about one person? And I don't mean you. You want to actually help you? Don't make your life all about you. Make your life all about the one who the whole universe is all about, Jesus Christ. You weren't born for you. People in this world say, oh, find yourself. No, no, that's the worst thing you want to do. That's the last thing you want to do. You find, you're like, what? Why did I find this? Right, I'm telling you. You, you, want, your light, you, want, to be re, you want to really enhance yourself? Lose yourself and find God. I'm telling you. You were not even born for you. You were born for God. It's funny, but it's true. You were born for God. Let your life be all about that one person, Jesus Christ. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that and maybe make the greatest decision of your life. And secondly, the Bible, 66 books, is all about one plan. And that plan is called the church. Now, by default, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in the church technically, spiritually. But are you fully engaged? Are you hook, line, and sinker in? Are you rooted? Are you going for it? We could just exist in our generation and really not touch much. Or we could say, let's just go for it. Let's utilize all our gifts and talents and abilities and resources. And let's do all we can in unity with each other, using our distinctive gifts and callings to be the people of God in this city, in this region, in this nation. Maybe you're going to be a church planter. Maybe you're going to be a kids worker. Maybe you're going to start a home group. Maybe you're going to become a healing evangelist. Maybe you're going to become a prophet. Maybe you're an apostle. Maybe God's called you to be a teacher. Maybe God wants you in the catering team. Maybe God wants you to do technical stuff behind the scenes. Maybe, maybe, God, maybe you're an administrator and you organize stuff. Bless you. That's not me. You are called by God's your gifts, talents, and abilities were not just for you, it's for the house. Let's live the dream. It's God's dream, it's not ours. You see, you could either say, God, would you bless what I'm doing? Or you could, get very sim- you could very simply get involved with what he's blessing, and it will be blessed. Rather than say, hey, God, over here, could you bless what I'm doing? God says, I've got a big purpose. I'm living for this big purpose. Why not just get on board with a big purpose? And then what you do will be blessed. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of their God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we're in your presence. And tonight I believe you're commissioning people for destiny, for purpose. Jesus Christ. You're the name above every name. At your name, demons flee. At your name, the dead will rise. At your name, Lord God, we bow our knees and we worship. God, we worship you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for dying for us and rising again. Thank you for conquering all of our enemies. 
I want to give you an opportunity this evening. If you've never let Jesus Christ take first place in your life. Hey, you like him, but he hasn't got first place. So tonight, tonight, why not? Why would you want to delay this decision? Why would you want to delay this decision? Why, why deny yourself? Why waste another day? Why not right now just say, come on, I want to have God right in the center of my life. So if that's you this evening and you, and you want to make the choice to trust Jesus, to let Jesus take center stage in your life, then just pray this prayer one line at a time under your breath because you're not talking to people, you're talking to God. Under your breath, just repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me on that cross. Thank you for paying the price with your own blood for my sins. I acknowledge I am a sinner. And I put my faith in you to be my savior. Tonight I ask you to come into my life. I believe Jesus on the third day you resurrected, you rose from the dead. I believe you're alive now. And tonight, I make a choice to follow you. I give my life to you. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer and accepting me as your child. Keep your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to pray for you, just wherever you are in this room. If you've prayed that prayer, you've just crossed from death to life. If you've prayed that prayer, your sins are now forgiven. If you've prayed that prayer, you're now heaven bounds and a child of God. I want to pray for you wherever you are in this auditorium. If you've prayed that prayer, while everyone else's eyes are closed, can you just raise your hand and say, that's me tonight. I prayed that prayer. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? It's the greatest decision of your life. Thank you. Thank you. God has heard your prayer. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. Say, that's me. I prayed that prayer. Thanks in the back row. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So, Lord, thank you. Lord Jesus, I just pray for these people tonight. You know all of their names. And tonight, they've just made the greatest decision of their lives. And you've heard their prayer. Jesus, their sins are dealt with. You've saved them. Now bless them. Right now, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Let them know your incredible acceptance. Fill them with your love and power. In Jesus' great name. In Jesus' great name. Thank you, God.
Amen.